Hello, there I am. Hello, welcome everybody. Good to have you watching online with us. Welcome if you're here, especially if you're a guest. Glad that you chose to hang out with us today in this time of uncertainty. I mean, how many times during this pandemic have you heard that phrase, in this time of uncertainty? As if there were ever a time of certainty. We're never certain about anything. You just, it's just this pandemic has really upset all of our expectations and assumptions so that we don't know how to plan for anything anymore. I mean, we're going through all this, this turmoil, and, and I look back to 2020 and how at the beginning of the year we were planning all kinds of things, had goals, and they're just, you know, all disintegrated. We're not used to this. We crave knowing what's to come so that we can plan for employment and investments and travel and vacation and all those things, and you, you just don't have any predictability anymore, any dependability anymore. I mean, we all, we all feel, we don't feel safe. We feel vulnerable more than ever to, to sickness, to death, to these forces beyond our control. We feel frightened by predictions of losing some constitutional rights or economic collapse or environmental catastrophe or domestic and foreign terrorist attacks, nuclear launches. I mean, with a new administration that's come in, now some people are feeling hopeful and some people are feeling even more anxious. And I don't think anybody is expecting for things to go back to normal. In fact, if anything, probably be more polarization, right? And you've got some people who are now stocking up on more guns and ammos and other survivalists stocking up on food and supplies, people fleeing out of the cities. And we've seen this sharp moral decline in our nation over the years, but it's just been accelerated, it seems, more and more lately with people who used to, we'd say, well, this is bad and this is good. Now we're saying, well, this is bad and this is good. It's just flipped everything upside down and there's something wrong with you if your moral compass hasn't spun in all kinds of different directions and to call good bad and bad good. What, what's going on with all this? We're seeing churches, I think more never going off the rails, uh, teaching false doctrine or, or that this is true and that's false and now that's just the opposite and people don't know what to believe anymore. I think we all sense there's just something different, don't we? We sense things have changed significantly, that uh, we've turned a corner, that things have sh shifted. And that can all cause everybody to feel a lot more anxious and fearful and even live in despair. And listen, I don't know the future, but I still have hope. And it's not some, I'm not talking about optimism. I didn't say optimism, which is kind of a Pollyannish look like, oh, the world's going to get better and better. I, I don't think so. I mean, if anything, Scripture says the world's going to get worse. But I have hope because in this time of uncertainty, we have a God who is never uncertain. We have a God who already knows the future, who's already there, who uh, has revealed to us partially at least what's to come, and so living by faith is learning to live with uncertainty because we have a God who is certain, who has made promises to us, and who will make good on those promises. Now, if you're not a Christian, I get it that you may not go along with what I'm talking about today. You may not believe any of this. Relax. It's okay. You're off the hook. But listen in. Stay tuned because you're going to hear why Christians often have a very different outlook and perspective on the future than other people do. We're going to talk about our certainty in a time of uncertainty, right? It's called our one hope. Our one hope. And it's not just, oh, I hope so, wish. It's a confident expectation. And this series on our core beliefs that we've been looking at is pulled from Paul's referencing of these essential 
unifying beliefs we have from Ephesians chapter 4. Okay, so let's put Ephesians 4 on the screen. And once more, everybody together, let's read through this. Here we go. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God of all who is over all and through all and in all. All right, and we've already covered all of those. Uh, in previous weeks, I mean, last couple of weeks, we've been looking at our one body. If you missed those, go to our website. You can watch them or listen to the podcast. But now we're to the final one, our one hope. And next week, we're going to peer ahead into the future, into the afterlife. And I hope you'll be back for that and that you'll invite others to join you. But today, we're going to talk about the one hope of what's going to end the world and begin a new and better world, the new heavens and new earth. So here's what we believe at our church about our one hope, that Jesus Christ will one day return to resurrect and judge the dead, and the church will enjoy his presence forever. Do you ever think about that? Or have you forgotten it? I mean, does that ever cross your mind, that Jesus is coming back at any moment? Because for Christians on that day, our salvation is going to be completed. And if you look to him as the fulfillment of all your longings, then you can't wait for that day to get here. So we're doing as Titus 2 says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of our glory, of the glory of our great God. Notice here, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is called God right there. We're waiting for him to show up. So I wait for you, Lord. I'm still waiting. Have you forgotten about that? Do Do you ever think about the end of the world? Does it make you feel anxious or does it make you feel excited i mean with anticipation do you look forward to it or does it just make you apathetic it just doesn't even register with you well here's our big idea today live right as you eagerly wait for christ's return are you eagerly waiting now that one hope is what should actually give us some oneness some unity but unfortunately because of so many different pro- interpretations of prophecy, it causes actually a lot of confusion. It's resulted in disagreements and even division over Jesus' return. When this should actually be encouraging us to hang in there, don't give up, stay true to the very end. You know, Jesus is coming back, we win, it's it's all going to be good. We instead get all these different interpretations of prophecy from from people who say they know what's going to happen but they don't. I mean, they write all these big books filled with all kinds of wonderful timelines and colorful charts, make a lot of money selling this stuff, but every time they say they know what they're talking about, guess what? They're always wrong. They they don't know. In spite of all of those speculations, what I hope we will remain united in is this one hope that Jesus is coming back. I don't claim to have all the answers, but I hope that we can at least clear up a few of the mysteries by asking some questions. And the first one is this. When is Jesus returning? Simple. I don't know. Nobody does. Jesus said nobody would know. Matthew 24. Concerning that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. And God has not shared that calendar with anybody. We don't know the date, we don't know the time, but Jesus does give us a couple of insights into God's timing. And the first is this, it will be sudden and unexpected. Going on in Matthew 24, he says, therefore stay awake. You do not know on what day your Lord is coming, but know this, 
that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also what? Be ready. For the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Now, the only ones who are going to be afraid of that will be those who are not ready. Those who had not put their faith in Christ for them, he will come like a thief in the night and they will suffer loss and destruction. Just as in the days of Noah, right? Jesus points out in Luke 17, they were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Day just like any other day. Last thing those folks were expecting was that this was be the day their world was destroyed. They were just going on living every day as if it would go on forever and they could keep on doing whatever they wanted to do without any consequences until that day. Their days were numbered. And for us, no, it's not going to be scary because we know it's coming. We're expecting it. It will be a surprise, but it will be a wonderful surprise. Like Jesus says, it'll be like a, a bride waiting for her groom to show up at the wedding. You know how guys are sometimes. We, we show up late to those kinds of things. You know, she's been waiting all day for this thing to take place. We just kind of show up when we show up, you know. But it's going to be a wonderful surprise when he shows up. We, we anticipate that with joy. The other thing we know about that timing is that it could happen anytime, that it will be soon. Jesus says in Revelation 22, look, I'm coming soon. You say, well, how can that be true after 2,000 years and he's still not here? Because that phrase coming soon means at any time. Immediacy, imminence, you know, in the moment. We, we don't know when, but we have actually been living in the last days ever since his first coming. We are in the end times. We have been on the verge of his second coming every moment since he left. I mean, that's what the early Christians believed. That's what the, the writers of the New Testament thought. Like, it could happen right now in our lifetime. And yet some people get sidetracked by looking for all these signs to try and figure out the mystery of when it's going to happen. So let's ask, what are the signs? And you got to understand, so much of this is prophetic, and it's written in what's called apocalyptic language, which is a Greek word, apocalypsis, which means something that is unveiled, something that is revealed. So it's a type of writing that makes the truth known, and yet also, in some sense, keeps it hidden. Right? For those who are paying attention, who have ears to hear, they get it. For others, it just goes right over their head. One ear out the other. Why? Well, think about it. Those early Christians were living under Roman oppression. And if the Apostle Paul, what is, okay, this is not a part of the message. There we go. I was afraid to look at it and nobody would be there. And like, whoa. <laughs> All right. So the idea that he could come back at any moment. These signs that we're looking for, uh, this, this writing says, okay, here's, here's what's going on in the world, but if we come right out and say it's the evil of the Roman Empire, what's going to happen? Well, the church is going to be crushed, right? So that he could write in a way, like John's writing Revelation, in a way that references the Roman Empire without naming the Roman Empire, right? So it protected the church from persecution. And you can say that in any age, Right? Middle Ages, Dark Ages, you know, whatever. They could say, oh, look, here, here's what's going on. And that's the other beauty of this, is it's written in this kind of language so that everybody of every era could understand that it applies to them. This wasn't written just for those first century Christians of the Ro Roman Empire, and it's not just meant for the last generation, whichever 
generation that might be, it's meant for every generation of Christians where they can look around at the world events and go, oh, whoa, signs are being fulfilled right now. Now, the Bible does give some signs that Christians have always been in the end times, that this world is not God's final plan. Look in Mark 13. Jesus says, watch out, no one deceives you. Because many will come in my name claiming, I am he, and they will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings of birth pains. Now, you understand Jesus is actually answering two questions here. Disciples asked, when will this temple in Jerusalem be destroyed? And that actually was fulfilled. Jesus prophesied it. And 40 years later, in AD 70, when the Roman armies conquered Jerusalem, they tore down the temple. But then he said, when will be, here's when the end will be, when he will return. And his point is, those two events will have some parallels between them. So be alert for that. That these are the kinds of things that will remind us that we are in the end days. I mean, things have been happening since the first century that are still happening in the 21st century. Wars have been going on the whole time. Rumors of war, all that. We have always had earthquakes. They're always happening all over the world. You say, well, aren't, aren't there more of them now? I don't think so, really. I think it's just that we hear about them a lot more now because we've got global 24-7 news coverage of everything. People didn't used to have that. So we're aware of every little skirmish that breaks out. And we hear about every earthquake that's going on. So I don't know that it's necessarily true that we have more today. Now, some say, well, it seems worse today than it used to. I mean, more people are dying, but I mean, there are more people on the earth now. So disasters hit them more. So the point is, all these kinds of disasters remind us that this world is not stable, that life is pretty fragile, and it's not going to last. History shows us that war is actually the norm. There's very few times in history when we don't have war going on, right? And we've got a global pandemic. But you know what? We had a way worse one 100 years ago. Uh, hurricanes. Hurricane scientists will... Tell you, yeah, we have about the same number of hurricanes now than we did 100 years ago. Now, what they'll argue over is the causes and the intensity, but it's still going on. Earthquakes, again, are happening all the time. We get these clusters of earthquakes and fires and floods and mudslides, and when they all kind of seem to happen at the same time, that's when we wake up for a few moments and go, whoa, what's going on here? Is, this, is God getting our attention here? Is this like signs of the end? And some say, well, it can't get any worse than it is right now. You ever heard that? Well, tell that to the Christians who lived under the Roman Empire. Tell that to the believers who were persecuted during the Dark Ages. Tell that to our brothers and sisters right now in the Middle East or living under communist rule in the underground church. Oh, folks, it can get way, 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 way worse. Some say it is going to get worse. Maybe. Maybe. Or maybe we've seen the worst. If Jesus could come back any time, maybe we've already seen the worst of it. I think we all sense that things right now are, are bad in a lot of ways, and we sense things are probably going to get worse. But who knows? That's the point. Nobody knows the future. The only thing we know for sure is Jesus is coming back, and we win. And it could be today. And in the meantime, until then, because we're living in, in the until time, he said, look out for false Christ." The end times will be marked by false Christ, people claiming to be messiahs and prophets. And right now around the world, there's still people rising up claiming to be Jesus. Do you know that? And they gather these large followings. 
The Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses, two of the biggest religions in the world, preach a false Christ based on the words of their false prophets. And even within the true church, false prophets arise and deceive people and turn them away from the truth. Don't be surprised by any of that. Paul describes the last days in terms of ungodly religiosity. Look at 2 Timothy 3. Understand this. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Does that sound like today? Yeah? Well, you know what? Decades ago when I was a teenager and I read that passage, I looked around and said, that sounds like today. And I'll bet you believers 100 years ago read that and went, sounds like today. And I'm guessing if we're still around 100 years from now, people will look around and say, it sounds like today. It's always going to sound like today because we're in the end times. Apostle Peter adds this, in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. So when people make fun of us, mock us for our beliefs, Understand one day God is going to vindicate us and prove us right and it'll be one big I told you so. Hang on for that. But I'll tell you what else I've heard for decades. Preachers saying revival is coming. Have you heard that so many times? Oh, we're on the verge of revival. And now I'm the one scoffing like, where is it? I haven't seen it. I mean, I have no indication that it's coming. Have you seen any indication of revival? I mean, it's not to say that it can't happen. God can do anything. And Christianity is on the rise in China, in India, in South America, in Africa. But here in the West, I'm so disappointed in Christianity, in its decline and following in the footsteps of the church and so much of the Western world that has just departed the faith. We're following in the footsteps of Europe and Canada. The church in America is in a bad spot. I guess I shouldn't be surprised by any of that. And I think we're in for a rougher ride ahead of us. And yes, I think persecution will be coming to us. And it seems like Satan is winning right now. But we've seen the end of the book. We know how the story ends. We know what happens to Satan, and we know what happens to us, and we win. And so I'm not optimistic about the future. I'm not looking for a revival. I'm not preparing for a revival. I'm praying for it, but I'm also expecting that things are going to get tough. And faith is living with that uncertainty. God has revealed these things to us, not to give us all the details, but to give us Hope in difficult times, in difficult persecutions, that he's in control still. And Jesus is coming back to set things right. We're not meant to know all the details. We're just being encouraged to stay faithful to the very end, no matter what happens, because all you're going through right now is temporary. And there will come a final day of justice. The only signs that I know of that will most definitely show us that we are in the final days is when you look up in the sky and there will be these signs in the cosmos. And when, when you see this, you know we're done. Matthew 24, Jesus says the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. All right, so when you see that going on, pretty good sign. <laughs> things, have, things have really gone wrong <laughs> or, or really gone right, you know, depending on where you're at. 
So look, this isn't just about waiting for signs to happen. This is about how to live right here and now. So let's ask, what are the events of the end times? Now we get into some teachings that really are interpreted very differently because of all that symbolic language. You look in the book of Revelation, you see all these different colored horses and you see these trumpets and these bowls and these strange creatures and all these different numbers. Like what in the world is going on here? And much of it will depend on whether you interpret it more literally or more symbolically. For example, the Antichrist. The Antichrist, you've heard of him. This is a figure that is opposed to Jesus and persecutes the church. All right, is this gonna be one guy in the very final days that we're supposed to look for who will rule the earth or is it more symbolic of all Antichrists throughout history from, from, from Emperor Nero through Hitler through someone who may be yet to come who will be worse than them all? I don't know. I don't know, but the point is There have been many antichrists. There may still be more to come. Regardless, Jesus still wins. He will defeat all of these rulers and their empires, and he will lead us to victory. Another example is the millennium, right? This thousand-year reign of Jesus on the earth. Those who take it more literally are typically called premillennialists, that he's going to come down, thousand years on the earth. Those who take it more symbolically, and I'll tell you, I'm, right, I'm in that camp. I'm in, this is more of a symbolic number, a thousand, right? It, scripture says with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. Cattle on a thousand hills belongs to the Lord. So the point of it all is saying Jesus is coming back and he will reign, but is he reigning now through his church already? Is the millennium going on right now as he reigns through his church or, it, or could it be he's reigning already through his church in heaven? That's where the millennium is taking place while the church on the earth goes through tribulation times. And are we supposed to look for a final seven-year tribulation time? Or is it more descriptive of the tribulation the church has always gone through? And if you're, you're in, like with me, more symbolic, the, these are symbolic numbers. And seven is to indicate this is just a short kind of persecution and, and tribulation in comparison to the thousand-year long period of time of Christ reign. Remember, the church here and now is often called the church militant. Why? Because we are undergoing suffering and severe opposition, and we're, we're deep in spiritual warfare. Tribulation. But the church in heaven is the church triumphant because they have already victoriously emerged over all of that opposition to be with God. Now, a lot of interesting questions in all this. But the point of it all is Jesus is king and he will reign for how long? Forever. That's what we look forward to. There is going to be tribulation. There is going to be persecution. But for for those who put their hopes in this world that things are just going to get better and better, you're going to be really disappointed. And for those who put all of their investments and treasures into this world, you're going to get more and more angry as you lose more and more of that stuff because there's a new world coming. This world is ending. And the main event of all that is his appearing. Here's the order of events from 1 Thessalonians 4. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. So I'm going up to meet my Lord. And that phrase caught up is where we get the word rapture. Have you ever heard that term, the rapture? Now, there's even disagreement over that. 
Because some see it as a secret rapture, that Jesus will come down, he'll take his people out of the world secretly, and then he'll come back yet a third time. So it's kind of Jesus on a bungee, you know, it's two, two or three times. And then there are those, like again, myself who take it more, like these are two events that happen at the same time. There's not two separate second comings. When he comes back, every eye is going to see him. Jesus says in John 5, that's when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Jesus is going to break through the heavenly realms into the physical cosmos, and he will reveal himself in his full glory and majesty, something that was veiled, that was hidden in his human humility when he first came as a baby, and most people didn't recognize him, and they ignored him and rejected him and condemned him, but when he returned, nobody will miss his glory and majesty as king of kings and lord of lords he will be revealed as the powerful lord of glory revelation one look he's coming with the clouds every eye will see him even those who pierced him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him the first time he came jesus stood before Pilate. the next time he comes Pilate's going to stand before jesus that's why the world will mourn, because God will finally come to judge them. Those who rejected and ignored Jesus. But for those of us in Christ, our salvation will be completed as every knee bows and every tongue confesses before him. And when the very last person who is going to receive Christ does so, and we don't know who that will be, we don't know when it is. Maybe you, maybe today. But whenever that happens, that's when Jesus will return. This world is going to end. But it's not going to be by natural disasters. It's not going to come from man-made catastrophes or ecological meltdown. It will be because God ends the world on his time scale. And the sky will split open. I mean, imagine right now looking up. And if, I don't know if you've ever done this, but you just look up and imagine what it's going to be. You see this whole ceiling disintegrating and, and the, the, the bright glory of the Lord and, and the, the Lord descending down with his angels and the sky splits open and rolls up like a scroll. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. And the elements will melt in the heat. He's going to take us out of this physical realm so that he can do an extreme makeover and create a whole new world, a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So in this until time, what should our attitude be? Well, first be patiently eager. Look at these two verses, because they seem kind of contradictory. James 5, 8. Let's all, everybody read it out loud together. Here we go. Be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Okay. Be patient. 1 Corinthians 1, 7, everybody. Eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Which is it? Patient or eager? It's both. That's what anticipation is. I'm patiently eager and eagerly patient. All right. He also says, be ready by living right. Peter reminds us that since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live, what? Holy and godly lives. That is our motivation. Two, two directions. As we look back to the cross, 
What Jesus did for us, giving his life in our place, dying for our sins and rising from the dead, that motivates us to holy living. And as we look forward to his return and coming in glory, that motivates us to holy living. Because I tell you what, folks, I do not want to be found messing around in sin when he shows up. Do you? I mean, what if Jesus came back right now? That'd be pretty good, right? Because you're in church. So, wow, (laughs) this is the place to be, right? But let's face it probably not going to be in church. So what are you going to be found doing and how shameful it would be for for him to come back and find me involved in sin and how disappointing it would be for him. I don't want to miss out on the glory of that day. I want to be living right. What should you be doing differently to be ready for that day? Because the clock is ticking. Are you ready? Live right as you eagerly wait for Christ's return. And maybe for you, the first step in getting right with God is to put your trust in Jesus, to repent of your sins, to invite him into your life, be baptized into Christ. And as always, we invite you to do that every week. And we always assume we have another week to do that. Well, next week we'll do it. Next week we'll do it. Maybe not. This may be it. I don't know. So I want you to leave this place ready to go. I mean, like, go. So if you would like to make that first step of faith, reach out to us, text your name to that number 734-304-7248 or email us next at southpointccc.com. If you're watching online, we will get back to you right away. If you're here on site, you can also go out in the lobby after the service to the, to the point in the main lobby or room C or D or really any of the rooms. There'll be people there who can answer your questions, pray with you, get you ready for your baptism, whether right here now on the spot or set it up as soon as possible, even show you how to do it at home. And we're not talking about you getting your child right, sprinkling your child. Like I'm, No, this is your decision to be immersed into Christ, to be covered in water and cleansed in your conscience and covered in his righteousness. So reach out to us. But if you're already a believer, then we're going to respond right now by sharing in communion together. We do this every week as we look backward to what Jesus did for us, the bread and the cup that we share in remind us of his body and his blood, his sacrifice. So go ahead and get out your communion kit if you got one when you came in. If you didn't, know that every week, grab one before you come in. If you're at home, gather your supplies, flatbread, grape juice, closest things you have to them. Because we're going to keep doing this every week until he returns. During the Last Supper, he told his disciples, I tell you, I will not eat it until... It is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. We are in that until times. Back in the day, I know sometimes we would say, as, as kind of a goodbye to one another, we say, hey, I'll see you here, there, or in the air. I'll see you here, there, or in the air. Because we do this until he comes back. 1 Corinthians 11, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's do that right now together. Let's pray. Lord, we pray along with Paul that, Lord, you would come and complete our salvation. Thank you for, for um, the cross, for your resurrection. We can, we can say we were saved and we're being saved and we will be saved. So find us patiently eager, living right, faithful till that day, God. Strengthen us in doing your work while, while you're away. And getting other people ready by by sharing the hope of salvation with them before it's too late. Strengthen us for tribulation, for suffering, for persecution.
ready for whatever happens, God. Because you said you'd come for us, and you're a promise keeper, so we know it's all coming true, and that fills us with joy and keeps things in perspective so we can live every day with confidence and perseverance. We pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen.